of all the miracles that Jesus performed, the one of turning water into wine is one of the most mysterious and fascinating. Hello, I'm Christine Darg and welcome to Exploits. Jesus truly did a mysterious exploit by turning water into wine. This miracle took place in the little village of Cana in the Galilee region of Israel. Cana is today an Arabic town and its churches and shops still commemorate Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine. The inhabitants of Cana are Israeli Arabs. They're Muslims, Arabic, Roman Catholics, and Greek Orthodox Christians, with a few Protestants here and there. Now, some skeptics might believe that Jesus turning water into wine was merely a conjurer's trick to gain a following for himself. Was it a genuine miracle? I believe it was a true miracle because the disciples were eyewitnesses of the Lord's majesty and the resurrection of Jesus was the final proof and seal on his lordship and on the validity of his ministry. Let's read the account of the miraculous wine in John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Reasons are suggested from the narrative that Mary was related to the marriage party. Her husband, St. Joseph, is never mentioned as being alive after Jesus began his public ministry. So Joseph is supposed to have died before this time. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, his presence proves that Jesus sanctioned the institution of holy matrimony as honorable. To attend a wedding was considered by the Jews an act of beneficence and congeniality. Our Lord was just being himself, affable, courteous. In the Gospels, he accepted all sorts of dinner invitations, and he rejoiced with people when they rejoiced. The account says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, I can imagine Mary looking at her son with great expectations. You see, from her close acquaintance and knowledge of him, Mary had formed a very good idea of his power and his compassion. Jesus said, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I want you to understand that his reply to his mother was not disrespectful. Jesus used the same word, woman, when speaking to her with the greatest of gravity and affection from the cross. The account continues, and Mary said to the servants, and I love this, do whatever he tells you. Apparently, she understood from the manner of Jesus' reply, or perhaps from the look on his face, that he would do something extraordinary to relieve the embarrassing situation of having run out of wine. Now, Mary's words, do whatever he tells you, is a sermon in five words. If we would only purpose to do whatever the Lord tells us, we would, without a doubt, fulfill our days with success 
because we would be doing things according to God's eternal plan for our life. Now the account says uh, in verse 6, nearby stood six stone water pots, the kind used by the Jews for purification, that is for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants at the wedding, fill the jars with water. So they filled the jars to the brim. Now this shows the liberality of Messiah in providing for the following days of the feast because in those days a marriage festival was kept for seven days. Furthermore, please note that Jesus told the servants of the feast and not his own disciples to fill the jars with water. You see, this task was done by the servants who were employed at the feast so that there might be no opportunity of accusation later that Jesus' disciples had filled the stone jars with wine in order to fake a miracle. In the ministry of Messiah, there could be no hint of deception or a hocus-pocus that sadly is sometimes employed by religious tricksters who claim to work wonders. And yet, upon close inspection of, for example, videos of some of these so-called miracles, a sleight of hand can be clearly recognizable. Recently, we were ministering in India, and we heard about a famous guru who was being televised, and he was performing some sort of miracle, but his deception was clearly caught on camera. But the instructions of Jesus was for the servants to fill the pots to the brim, up to the top. The jars were to be so full of water that no wine could be poured in to give the appearance or color of a mixture. And also, wine had never been stored in these stone vessels. Simply, the account states that the pots were used to keep water for the religious purposes of ablutions. Now let's continue. In verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And in verse 8, he said, now draw some of the water out and take it to the master who provides over the banquet. He said, draw it out now. This command was given, remember, to the servants of the banquet. It showed that the miracle had been performed immediately. You see, as soon as the jars were filled, the servants were directed to take the wine to the governor of the feast. Jesus made no show about doing a miracle. And the Bible doesn't even indicate that he approached or touched the water pots in any way. He just willed the wine into existence. He spoke, he gave instructions, and it was done supernaturally. This is a clear exertion of divine power. It was no magician's trick. And the miracle was performed in a manner as to leave no doubt of its validity. And so the account says they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Now this is an important fact that's kept in the gospel to indicate that the judgment of the master of ceremonies was not biased for or against Jesus. 
Perhaps had he known about the miracle, he would have been less likely to judge impartially. But as it is, we have the master of ceremonies testimony that this was real wine and not only wine, but a superior wine, a flavor and quality surpassing the wine that had been served earlier. Every detail of this miracle proves there was no collusion or trickery. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best wine till last. And verse 11 in this account, what Jesus did in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs or miracles through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now this miracle in John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle, exhibited his glory. That means it showed his power and his character as the Messiah. The miracle showed that Yeshua, that's his Hebrew name, had divine power and that God has certainly commissioned him. Now, no word in the Bible is here by accident, but all details are put in here for instructions and they have a specific purpose. And it's interesting that the Apostle John tells us in verse 1 that the marriage took place on the third day, which is, according to Hebrew thinking, Tuesday. Interestingly, in the Genesis account in the Torah, God pronounced twice that the third day was good. And so the Jewish people reckoned that if they can be married on a Tuesday, their marriages will be doubly blessed. And that's also why we held an open area evangelistic outreach on the third day, on a Tuesday, a number of years ago in a beautiful restaurant in that little town of Cana on the road to Nazareth. We preached under a beautiful grapevine at a gathering of more than a hundred souls at a gospel marriage style banquet. After having distributed myself and my team several thousand invitations to the populace of Cana, whosoever willed could come. And at least 100 prayed with us, representing all the communities of Cana. In Cana in Galilee, the Gospel of John says that Jesus manifested his glory and that his disciples believed on him. But have you ever wondered why of all these stupendous signs Jesus could have performed, his first miracle was to change water into wine? And have you like me ever pondered why this particular miracle caused his glory to be manifested? Well, we can read right over some of the deepest and most profound truths in the Bible if we don't understand the Jewish customs of the day. In turning water into wine, Jesus was proving more than his compassion for the wedding party. He was proving more than his miracle working abilities. In fact, the Messiah declared openly in, a, in an assembly of people by a notable miracle that he has power over 
physics over the nature of things. Now this miracle should arrest the minds of all men and women to consider the Lord's authority as well as his power. Cana is a small Bible town about 15 miles from Tiberias and only about six miles northeast of Nazareth. In several of Cana's churches, there existed a large stone water jars that purportedly are one of the large water pots dating back to the miracle of Jesus. The town was called Cana of Galilee in the scriptures to distinguish it from another Cana in the tribe of Ephraim mentioned in Joshua chapter 16 verse 9. Now back in 1997 when we were holding regular prayer meetings at the American colony in Jerusalem, I met with an archaeologist who was searching for the temple treasures in Israel. His name was Dr. Gary Colette. He had a fascinating insight about the water that Jesus changed into wine. This is why it's important to know about the Jewish background of this story. You see, it was not just any water that Jesus changed into wine. Dr. Colette noted something recorded in John chapter 2 that I'd never noticed before. We can read the Bible many, many times, and yet we can see something for the first time. And verse 6 of chapter 2 says that the water in the six stone water pots was after the manner of the purification of the Jews. And so this was holy water that had been purified by having been mixed with water sanctified in Jerusalem by the ashes of the red heifer, which was sacrificed from time to time. And the ashes were mixed in a continuation to keep the water purified. And that water was the most sanctified water in Israel. And the synagogues, Dr. Collette told us, throughout the land of Israel contained this sacred water for ceremonial purposes of purification. And Dr. Collette, told us in one of our prayer meetings that the wedding at Cana must have taken place at or near a synagogue, which makes sense really when you think about it because it was a religious ceremony. In the Bible account, the master of ceremonies of the wedding had run out of wine and the mother of Jesus asked her son to do something about it. She prodded Jesus. She knew he had supernatural powers and even though Jesus was not ready to begin his public ministry, he honored his mother's faith. In fact, Mary said one of the greatest sentences that has become a motto of many evangelical ministries. She said to the stewards of the party, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. So Jesus gave instructions that the six stone jars, which already contained this sacred water, should be filled. And so the containers were topped up to the brim with ordinary water. The ordinary water was added to the sacred water. Dr. Colette pointed out that Jesus was, of course, a young rabbi, only 30 years old and not a white-haired sage. So Jesus may have appeared to be an upstart 
because he had dared to add his water to the sacred temple water. But the fact that he was not struck down by tampering with his sacred water also proved that Jesus possessed a higher authority than the temple, that he was, in fact, God in the flesh, because only God could have altered that water. Note that the account in John chapter 2, verse 11, said that this was the beginning of the miracles or signs, plural, that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Dr. Collette told us that the first miracle was the fact that Jesus had authority to tamper with the sacred water without retribution and that the miracle worked. And the second miracle was this. Not only was the purification water mixed with regular water without divine recriminations, but the water was thoroughly changed into something new, wine. Thus, Jesus demonstrated his divinity and authority over and above the temple system of the day. Just as Jesus was Lord of the Sabbath, and he made it a regular habit to heal people on the Sabbath, so he was also Lord over these ceremonial things. He was Lord over Jewish water pots and their contents. So never forget that Jesus is also Lord over our lives and over all of our circumstances, and he can change natural laws on our behalf if need be. Behold, he decrees a thing, and it's so, whether it's our healing or any other need. The water changed instantly into wine at the command and will of Jesus. And your circumstances right now could be very grim, but you are not without hope in this world. Never forget that your situation can change suddenly for good upon the word of the Lord, just like the water changed suddenly into wine. He can turn the bitter waters of our experiences into something sweet and delightful as the finest of a full-bodied wine. When we make Mary's words our motto, whatever he says, do it, you and I can expect change and miracles to happen continually. Now, as I said, no detail is in the scripture by accident. Why do you suppose there were six water pots? Well, we believe that time is drawing to a close for this gospel age, and many Bible scholars believe that. Many of the early church fathers openly prophesied that there would be six millennia of history, and then Jesus will return to rule for a seventh thousand years, known as the millennium, Messiah's millennium of rule. Some scholars believe the six water pots represent the six millennia of history. The millennium of Jesus' rule will complete God's seventh day of history on this earth. Well, we're not dogmatic about these matters, and only the Lord knows for sure. But the very possibility of the extreme lateness of the hour of all that's happening prophetically in the nation of Israel urges us to finish the Great Commission and to number our days that we may obtain a heart of wisdom.
Now, what else can we learn from this fascinating Bible account in John chapter 2? Since the Lord blessed the marriage by his presence, I think it's very desirable when there is a wedding ceremony and a wedding celebration to have the blessing of Messiah's presence. Today, those who want Jesus as the special guest at their marriage must invite him by prayer and he will come and there will never be any lack for anything if he is present. We all have many needs in this life. And so in our petitions to the Father, in the name of Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, we must humbly spread out our cases before him and then allow the Lord liberty to do with our lives as he pleases. And here's another interesting nugget that I discovered in this Bible study. Previously, we produced a program on the many similarities between Moses, the lawgiver, and Jesus, Messiah, the Savior. Moses prophesied in the Torah that God would raise up a prophet like unto himself, and that the people must listen to the words of this prophet who was to come, and who is Jesus. In that program, I had listed many similarities between Moses and Jesus. But in John chapter 2, we find another similarity. Isn't it interesting that the beginning of Moses' miracles was turning water into blood? We find that miracle in Exodus chapter 7 and verse 20. And the beginning of the miracles of Jesus, the Messiah, was turning water, not into blood, but into wine. And this may remind us of the difference between the law of Moses and the gospel of Messiah. One involves judgment, the law which teaches us. The other covenant involves grace and the washing away of our sins by the wine of his pure, red, sinless blood from the Father in heaven. There's a whole revelation for those who care to dig further. It was the best wine. Messiah's works commend themselves. Now, the debate on whether or not it is lawful to drink wine will never be finished this side of the second coming. And this side of the wedding supper of the Lamb, people will still be debating whether or not it's lawful to drink wine. But I believe that through the miracle at Cana, Messiah sanctioned a right use of wine. It is not intimated at all that these particular guests were intoxicated. And Jesus, certainly by doing this miracle, did not deny his own caution that he also gave in the Gospel of Luke, which is that our hearts should not be at any time overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. That's stated in Luke 21:34. But also, he didn't forbid the use of wine, for example, on the Sabbath and upon special occasions such as this wedding feast. The bottom line is that we should always conduct ourselves in a manner that we might invite Jesus to join us in any circumstances and nothing in our behavior should ever at any time offend him. If we have an attitude that 
He's in us and he's with us 24-7, then all of our actions will be righteous. Well, that's all the time we have in this particular program. If you'd like a transcript of this teaching on John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, please contact me through our website at www.exploits.tv. And at our website, you can also find an archive of our programs and details on our prayer conferences in the Holy Land. We have a very special prayer conference every year at the time of Passover to recover the fact that Resurrection Day happened not during the pagan festival of Easter, named after the fertility goddess, but it happened during the very Hebraic holiday of Passover. Jesus fulfilled the symbols of Passover as the Lamb of God, and he was raised from the dead as the first fruits from the dead on the festival of first fruits during Passover. These wonderful revelations are celebrated during our Passover Seder every year in Israel. We'd like for you to be a part of it. We also take a group during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a very prophetic conference put on by the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, which is really a dress rehearsal for Zechariah chapter 14, when all of the nations will come up to worship Messiah during the millennium. And you can get a flyer and learn how to register for that conference at our website at exploits.tv. I'd also like to invite you to ask for our free eight-page color magazine, Exploits, and it's available through our website. In this particular uh, edition, we have uh, articles about healing, about finishing the Great Commission, and we try to keep you updated with prophetic end-time events. Until next time, I'm Christine Darg, encouraging you to be strong, to build up your faith, and to do exploits for the Lord. Shalom.